Hello and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hubuzu Network. You can find out more on hubuzu.com. And as always, I want to thank my sponsors, Joyce Asac of Asac Real Estate, Army National Guard veteran Mark Holmes of Reapers Detailing and Power Washing, and my supporters, Semper Savage Salad Dressing, Bottom Gun Coffee, and Quezon Shaving Company. And we are starting off August, you know, this year is still going strong with a bang. And it's just always interesting how I meet new people and, and get to know them. Um, I've met Jane. This is Jane Babcock from Wisconsin, where my grandmother used to live. Jane, welcome to Oscar Mike Radio. Thanks, Travis. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Now, we met through Clubhouse, right? Yeah, yep. and then we got connected through LinkedIn and Kat Cortado and all that group. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Althea Williams had her, you know, clubhouse with She Vets It and we connected. And ladies and gentlemen, she sent me an email and it took me like three days to read it. I am like, yes, this is exciting stuff because, you know, you've been at a high level, I think, Jane, and right there in the weeds helping veterans. So Let's just get started with who Jane is. Well, Jane Babcock is third generation Army. My grandpa did World War I and World War II. And my dad did World War II. And then I was trying to do the 30 years like my grandfather did, active duty and reserve. Didn't quite make it at 21 and a half. Stupid training injury. But my military career, I volunteered for every school I could get to. And... When I was a reservist, of course, that Jane, allowed. Jane, you're not supposed to volunteer. <laughs> yeah, but I was older than most of my DIs. So I was 23 when I went in. So I stepped off the cattle car. They said, how old are you, Private? I snapped up, 23, drill sergeant. And he said, your new name is Mom. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it literally followed me through the military. Ten years later, as a reservist, I'm in a gymnasium. And an old guard guy came out. And he's walking back and forth, looking like a poster child and covering this morning's drills and ceremonies in accordance with. And he stopped. He looked at me and he said, Mom, 10 years later, and it was like, oh, my goodness. It was one of the DIs from my company. So, yeah, it's wonderful how the military follows you around the world, even though you're going in opposite directions as far as duty stations go. It really is a small world. It, it yes. Is. So what did you do in the military? I mean, you're in there for 21 and a half years and your, your grandfather was World War One and World War Two. Yes. That's in amazing. fact, you can see his World War One Purple Heart. Back then they didn't have the medal. So they oh, really? issued these accolades of humanity. And that's his, if I tilt my screen a little bit, it looks like Lady Columbia knighting yeah, yeah. a doughboy. That's World War I version of a Purple Heart. Get out. I learned something new every day. I had no idea. Yeah, and it's actually part of the DAV patch. I got to look so. at the patch again. I'm a life member. All right. All right. Yeah. So so what did you actually do in the Army? Well, I volunteered as a crypto tech. I had a good ASVAB score. So I went to crypto school for a year, learning how to 
maintain what was two racks of equipment. Nowadays, it's the size of a large cell phone. <laughs> so it's, thank goodness has changed. But then I went to Korea for a year, came back. They said, you're going to school. They sent me to Fort Huachuca, Arizona, where I learned to bend conduit and run duct work and do electrical panels. And as an installer, I traveled over 26 states in two and a half years. Oh, so you were moving. You were, Oscar Mike. You were on the move. Oh, yes. Yeah. We were constantly going on. Unfortunately, it meant a high rate of divorce for a lot of our guys. But it was such a world and eye-opening experience to see so much of our country. And so, yeah. and being the only rope qualified one on the team when it kind of took time to take equipment up and down, like the air traffic control tower next to Fort Bragg on Pope, I was the only one that got to ride up and down with the equipment because I knew how to rappel back down. <laughs> um, did you, you must've had a different experience and perspective going in at 23 and being a female than, you know, other people. Oh, definitely. You know, back then women didn't make up much of the force. I think we were less than seven or 8%. And that was back in 1982. Oh, wow. And then, but it grew, of course. I had leaders that were chauvinists. Um, I graduated from my first leadership academy, primary leadership at Fort Knox, came back to my home unit and my Sergeant in charge said, oh, well, they wasted their money sending you to leadership school. Women belong only as nurses and secretaries in the Army. So, yeah, you, have, you had to overcome some things. But then there were the great leaders that really just said, whatever you can do, do it. <laughs> nice, nice. So you, you served 21 and a half years. You said earlier you had a training accident, and that, that does happen, and you get out. After... Being in that long, what was your transition experience like? In 2004, uh, I walked into the unit, said the neurosurgeon wants to cut my throat and put a bunch of metal in my neck. And the UA, unfortunately, in the reserves and National Guard, a lot of our UAs and people in charge of the paperwork, especially in a small unit, are not career trained in that military occupation. So they may have been like my guy through no fault of his three years before involved with choo-choo trains in the army. So when I came in and said, I'm injured and they want to operate on my neck, he basically said, oh, aren't you lucky? You got to 21 here, sign here. You're in the retired reserves. And as stoned as I was on Vicodin, I just signed on the bottom line. So no transition. In fact, they didn't even ask for my TA-50. Now, what's that? What's the TA-50? Your field gear. They didn't you know, ask duffel for your bag field, gear? field gear? Yeah, they didn't even ask for my field gear. I had to go back later on a month later and say, here, do you want this stuff? <laughs> and wow. then they were on their way to Afghanistan. So they were like, yeah, throw it in the corner. We'll take care of it later. I've heard of gear left to drift must surely be a gift, but that's a new one. Um, did not operate that way in the Marine Corps. There was a checklist, and if you couldn't pay up, you paid up. So um, you get out, and, and it sounds very unceremonious. You're just in the Army one day or Army Reserves one day, and the next day you're out. Now, how did you get your injury you know, taken care of 
during this time? My private civilian insurance. Again, no transition, no mention of VA, no, um, are you fit for duty? Can you stay in? Because I was hoping that once I recovered and did my physical therapy, I would be able to go back and get reevaluated to see whether or not I could come back in. Yeah. And they said, nope, you're in the retired reserves. And unless you get activated by a federal order, I mean, I could volunteer to do IMAs and things like that or non-pay type things, but first I had to pass that physical. And unfortunately I wouldn't have been able to pass the physical due to the nerve damage in my arm and the, I couldn't wear Kevlar, I couldn't wear battle rattle. Even though I held five military occupations, so. So this happens and it's an abrupt transition to say the least. But now you are, you are a, a subject matter expert in this stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, when she's on a, a clubhouse or a forum and talking about you know, veterans benefits, it becomes very clear that she knows what she's talking about. How did, that, how did you go from not knowing anything about the VA or veterans benefits when you got out to, to being this way, Jane? Well, fortunately, I saw a newspaper ad that said, they're looking for a veteran service officer in my county. And I was like, well, what is that? And how do I get involved? And went down, asked questions, and they said, you're a veteran? Oh, you can take the civil service test and maybe we'll hire you. And then you can help educate veterans about their benefits and help them with their applications and developing their evidence and the things that they need to receive their benefits. And I thought, okay, I, you know, I can help guys that have injuries get VA benefits. And in the meantime, I'll learn enough to maybe find out if I'm eligible for those benefits. So, and like a lot of soldiers, I thought, well, my injuries weren't in a combat field, so I guess I'm not going to be compensated for them. And I wasn't sure if I was able to use the VA clinic because again, not in combat, and most of my service was peacetime, although I had served from 97 to 2000 as a full-time AGR recruiter. I thought that's not, quote, active duty since I'm in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. But found out all those things qualified me. So I took the civil service test. And unfortunately, the boss might have thought I would be a nice, quiet female who would sit at her desk and do her job. And then he found out I'm not so quiet. You're not? <laughs> it I had no idea. Few, yeah, it led to a few loud conversations. And finally, he pulled the I'm the boss card. And I went, okay, fine, boss. I'm leaving. Two weeks. Here's my notice. And actually, just a few days later, the county north of me, Kiwani, called up and said, or somebody called for me from there and said, hey, they're looking for a veteran service officer up here. And I was literally hired in the next county before I even left Manitowoc County. I remained as a resident here, but well, just made the commute. What was happening to you, you know, mentally as you started going down this, this, this path and realizing that, hey, you know, if things, if I had more knowledge this might have turned out very differently. 
is that what drives you to, to, to be like this now? Yes. If I had known about VA, I could have used the healthcare for my surgery and my physical therapy and all that stuff, not have to pay for it afterwards. And then I also would have received the benefits, which would have allowed me maybe not to go back to work within those first two weeks or even month, because I later found out the neurosurgeon didn't want me to work for a month, but he didn't say that. Or maybe if he did, I was too drugged. Um, <laughs> so, and then, then the fact that there's so many veterans and so many widows out there that really don't know. And my second mission being reserve national guard and even active duty guys that aren't told about the med board process. My last case as a CVSO was a young man in the reserves, two tours in the sandbox, in an IED, had a back injury that progressed back at home station to the point where they did a couple surgeries on his back, the last one being to implant a pain stimulator to block his pain signals. And the reserve unit just went, oh, you got your 20, we're gonna put you in the retired reserves. Leaving him nearly unable to work if it worked for a really great boss and without insurance and without the income and potentially not having an income without insurance on his kids. And once that paperwork is signed and processed, you have no resolution but the Army Board of Correction and Military Records. And that's a two to three year wait. Wow. That's a hell of a position to leave a young adult with multiple children and things like that without the proper regulation following. So those are my two missions. Fix the Department of Defense. <laughs> trying not to use the wrong words and fixing the VA's lack of outreach and education. So let's talk about um, the Department of Defense because even for active duty personnel, and I was active duty, it, it's, it's a one week class and one week that's five days, actually four and a half because you know, at 1300, don't bother coming back. You're done here, go pack. And it just seems like it, it needs to be different somehow, but I'm not sure how that is because everybody's from different states. Every state is different. Every municipality is different. Um, yeah. What do you think on the active, on the, on the transition side, the DOD side that could be different? On the transition side, I think every soldier ought to be required to go through a VA physical. That way they can investigate and find those injuries and illnesses that could possibly qualify them to go through a med board. Things that are going to impact their lives for the rest of their lives. You know, nerve damage in my arm is going to impact me the rest of my life. And being my dominant arm, it impacts me even more when it comes to um, working world. So that deserves the opportunity to go through that mentor. I kind of find that interesting because I found out the hard way that, you know, the fact I didn't have my printed out medical records from the Marine Corps or, or Navy rather uh, could have helped several things that uh, happened to me. 
and, and it makes sense. So that, that that's interesting. Um, well, the other thing too is that even without you personally having your medical records, the VA has an obligation to request those from your branch of service. They have to request them a minimum of two, but, but they're asked to request them three times and then send you a letter if they don't get a response from your branch of service saying, we've requested the records multiple times, haven't gotten a response. Can you request them or do you have them? Because in my case, in the old days, they handed you your medical records and your 201 file and said, here, take these to your next unit. Yeah. So that didn't stop until that plane full of guys went down and then they went, oh, we don't even have dental records to identify these guys. So they stopped doing that. But that DOD mission is so vital with the quality of life for our younger veterans. But in the opposite end of that problem, is our veterans that experienced the fire at St. Louis in 72, I think it was. Um, again, mostly Navy. So, but those are rebuildable records. I helped a Korean War veteran whose records were gone and he had been saved by a group of Marines in a village in Korea after being shot and he was in a field hospital. It was overrun. He was in the frozen rubble for a day and a half. Marines came in, saved him, warmed him up, sent him back to his unit. Walks into my office 60 plus years later using two four-pointed canes because his frostbite was killing all the nerves in his legs. And I posted a bunch of stuff on the internet, on a bunch of Marine sites, history sites, and things like this. And six months later, got a phone call from a Marine saying, I think I'm the, one of the guys you're looking for. And was that Jim so-and-so? And I went, yeah. So now I had an eyewitness to his injuries. It doesn't always have to be your medical record. It can be witness statements. It can be your family saying, he came home in a cast on leave. Now you have proof of your broken arm or leg. Yeah, yeah. On the VA side, you know, I, I hear so many things about, you know, the VA is bad, the VA is this, the VA is this, and I've heard that, hey, you know, the VA, when I finally figured out to show up for my appointments and take this and, and you know, do the, 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 the work, it wasn't that bad. What, what are the challenges coming from the VA side of things? VA is like any other medical system when you're talking about healthcare. My husband waits just as long, if not longer, to get appointments with specialty fields as we do inside the VA. Wherever you live, the bigger the population, the larger the hospital structure and everything else, and the more people using it, you're going to wait longer. I can call up and sometimes I can get in the same day at my clinic because I'm in rural Wisconsin. I have to drive half an hour to get there, but I have that care. And my guys, my healthcare system, I literally have a neighbor that works at the clinic. So we know each other. We care about each other as community. It's different. They literally saved my life. 
I had a misdiagnosis that I was being treated for for years through the civilian side of the house, again, not knowing about VA, and just went along for years using the medication and inhalers that they were giving me. And turns out I actually had blockages in my heart. The VA doctor said, those symptoms are a lot similar, but I think there's something else going on. And they did one of those catheterization things and put the dye in my heart and went, you have eight blockages. So I'm lucky I didn't die. If it hadn't been for my VA healthcare team, I might not be here. So I love my VA healthcare team. Well, you know, I, I told somebody, I said, look, I, I, I've had, you know, two injuries in each leg. Uh, the PT I got from civilian care and the PT I got from the VA is night and day. The civilian care says, hey, you're, you're allotted, you know, eight appointments. If you need more, call your insurance company. Insurance company says, hey, you, you've done everything you can. We're done with you. The VA healthcare was like, we're going to take a little bit more time to iron out these last little things, get you right. Night and day, night and day. So I, I, I just, I don't think it's all bad, but it certainly could use improvement, sure. And the costs, my own adult daughter right now, she was supposed to be trying this new medication because she has all sorts of problems with her stomach. I mean, she's had shots in her stomach and everything else to try and deaden the nerves so, so that she doesn't have the issues. But they put her on a new medication. She went in and they went $225. The insurance doesn't pay for it. She's a single mom. She can't afford that. In the VA, we're going to pay $15 if we pay copays. Yeah. Because if your income is low enough, after subtracting off the cost of your medical expenses, like your Medicare premium. So the average social security check is just slightly over poverty. But if you take off the cost of Medicare and then you take off any other out-of-pocket expenses, perhaps over-the-counter medications you're taking, if you're married, your spouse, yes, they count the spouse income, but they also count the spouse's medical expenses. So if your spouse is paying $225 a month for medicine, now what's your leftover income? Oh, it's less than poverty? You're going to get everything in the VA free. Hearing aids, glasses, all your physical therapy, all your medicines. It is the best safety net. And no, you don't have to live near a clinic. If you are not able to drive 72 miles to get to your clinic, they're going to set you up locally under community care. And you're going to get your prescriptions at Walmart. And then once you're set up on the system, they'll start mailing them to you. Yep. So don't, please don't let yourself live below poverty. Well, a lot of, a lot of people, guys mainly just, you know, getting this mindset, it's too hard, it's too difficult. And, you know, I don't know how to navigate the system, so forget it. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Um, and, and it's challenging to break that mindset. You know, one of the things that, you know, looking through, you know, some of the things you've written and other shows you've been on is your focus around widows, which I found very interesting because you really don't hear a whole lot with regard to widows advocacy for veterans or active duty service members. You know, where did that come from? 
And, and what are you trying to do there? Well, unfortunately, it, met, it came from meeting too many of our widows who spent decades taking care of their veteran with injuries or illnesses related to their service due to their chemical exposures in service, knowing nothing about VA, living possibly hours from a clinic, and they did every bit of care VA should have done. All the expenses has driven their savings down to pretty much nothing. Take care of an ALS patient out of paying most of those expenses out of your pocket and you won't have much left. But yet ALS is a presumptive for military veterans, peacetime, wartime, anytime. If you serve federal duty and you've been diagnosed with ALS or you are the widower or widow of a veteran that died with complications of ALS, you're entitled to these benefits to help you stay above poverty for a widow their DIC, Dependent Indemnity Compensation, may be larger than that one Social Security check they're living on. So these are our national heroes. These are, are the people that gave more than most people will ever understand mentally and physically to our nation. And they have strived all their lives to take care of themselves. And we promised to take care of them. But yet the VA doesn't do anything to say to that ALS widow of 15 years ago that, oh, by the way, 12 years ago, we put this on the list. So if your spouse died of ALS, your veteran died from that, come in, we'll get you DIC. We'll more than double your income in a lot of cases. But 15 years ago, they didn't have the statistics. And 15 years ago, that veteran may not have been going to VA. So if a, I used to advertise in May because that was ALS month. And I would always get at least a couple widows that would show up. And once in a while, a spouse that would say, my husband's at home. He can't even leave the house due to his ALS. Then that's Lou Gehrig's disease for those who don't know. So the ice bucket challenge and all that stuff, please don't let our heroes pay for those expenses. For every three people with ALS, generally speaking, two will be veterans. That's, that's, it's unbelievable, especially with, um, you know, the burn pits, uh, it's kind of like our generation's uh, Agent Orange veterans. And, yes, and that means nine, cancers right now yeah. nine respiratory type cancers that are killing our guys and families are out there he's not able to work and she's trying to work and take care of him through his cancer treatments no 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 va owes you and then there's the agent orange guys 38 cancers and a whole bunch of other neurological problems and I'm sure y'all, especially if you're on Facebook, you see all these agencies that will help you file a claim for Camp Lejeune. Yep. From 53 to 87, the dry cleaning fluids were leaking out into the water tables and coming back through the spouts on posts. So you were drinking it, you were washing your clothes in it, everything else. And unfortunately that affected not only the veteran, of course, but their spouse, their children that were there, children conceived there. God forbid, a lot of children were lost because of it. 
these benefits are free to you. Getting them filed is free to you. Do not ever pay someone to file a claim with the VA. There are thousands of county, state, and national organization veteran service officers trained in the paperwork. They attend training every year. They learn all the new rules and regulations and they share the information about how to develop evidence. I remember the first time I got a death certificate that was 10 years old, I got it amended and everybody, they were like, great, that's a good class for the next conference. Don't pay for a service you are entitled to have for free. And especially if you live in one of the 32 states that pay county veteran service officers and state representatives to file your claims at no cost. Your tax dollars are paying for it. Use them. Absolutely, absolutely. So you've got more and more in this work. As we wind this down, what's what's the area you think right now, pick two, maybe three, where there's the most need for veterans now? Nationally, it's economic. These benefits are out there. Less than 50% of veterans use the VA healthcare system. And again, don't look at it as something four hours away if you live in Utah they will put you on community care. If you are an older veteran and say you need dialysis due to kidney failure, due to your exposure to Agent Orange and your kidneys shutting down, you need to get in, file that claim, receive that $3,000 a month, receive the free care and explain to them the distance or the problem getting back and forth to dialysis. And they'll say, oh, well, don't drive to the VA clinic. We'll set you up locally. Age, medical condition are good justifications to have the community care. So economics, too many living below poverty, too many. If you're going to a VA clinic, how often do you see the brochures explaining to you what pension is? They have them, big, beautiful colored brochures. One of the links I sent you is to all those different brochures. But if you don't know it's there, why would you think to go and ask if you qualify for that pension. If you serve during a wartime, there's no need to live below poverty. And if you're homeless, if you're not physically capable or mentally capable of working under the age of 65 and serve during wartime, that pension is for you too. The youngest man I put on it had just turned 22, but they actually had it backdated to 21 because we'd filed and it took a while to process. So again, Economically, don't live below poverty. And your veteran service officer knows a lot about the other grants from your state and your organizations in your area. So that's your, that's your best friend. Go find out what you're eligible for. For me in my area in Wisconsin, the county I worked at last, we didn't have higher education. So a good 75% or more of the veterans I worked with were older. And almost half of our veteran population is over the age of 65. In 1976, we had 32 million veterans. Today, we have 19 million veterans. 
But of those 32, only nine are still alive, which means that there's a minimum of 8 million widows out there. And a lot of them are eligible for benefits. So economics has a lot to do with it. But please go find your veteran service officer, learn about your federal and state benefits. I have four years, well, I had, because I've used half of it, four years of education benefits from my state. And we actually give it to our non-state veterans, ones who have moved here, once they've been here five years. So there's a lot. Yeah, and homeless programs. Our state actually bought an old assisted living and turned it into a homeless shelter so that the guys can actually go in, they have their privacy, shared rooms, but they have some privacy and they have people there helping them with the vocational rehabilitation training programs, both through the state and through the VA and help them with all the economics. If they qualify for pension, they get them onto the pension if they're permanently unable to work. And there's so much to protect us, but nobody advertises. The VA doesn't tell us, heck, even our, a lot of the states don't tell us, but there's some really good CVSOs out there doing national outreach, justifying their local guys, like Mike Roof, great guy. Yeah, I, I know that VFW is in certain states is really trying to change that. I mean, isn't that the role though of like the VFWs, AMVETS and DAVs, American Legions is to, is to bridge that gap? What am I missing here? Well, yes and no. Okay. They, their memberships, they always point, I, I used to get all sorts of leads from the offices, but a lot of them are in aging groups, like the Vietnam Veterans of America. They're aging groups. They're, eight, they're groups that two thirds, almost three quarters of their population have already passed. In 2020, 65,000 veterans over 65 passed away. So those organizations are diminishing in numbers and our younger guys are more about, hey, look, you know, I wanna meet once a month, but text me that, you know, send me an email with the newsletter or text me a message about a new thing or, and our older guys just don't do that. They're not technology focused. And the VA is all about the internet. But I challenge most veterans who don't know about, say, voc rehab or funeral honors, what all is in the funeral honor as far as headstones and bronze markers and even the eligibility for cemeteries and things like this. I challenge you to go onto the VA website and find their brochure about it. It's going to take you a while. That information is hidden down deep inside that website. And if you don't know that program exists, why would you think you're eligible for that benefit? And you certainly don't know that just because you're 10% for your hearing loss, your spouse is entitled to a funeral stipend. So why would she go in and ask for it? You know, this is where national TV and radio comes in. So if you have any contact, if you have the time, go to these ABC News and all these others 
and suggest that they do stories on these things. Put it on the platform where the 87-year-old sitting in the assisted living may see it, where the 20-something-year-old is watching the news to find out whether or not there's going to be a situation that, that they need to respond to because they're in the IRR, inactive ready reserves or something. Right, right, right. So we need to get it on national TV. We need to get it on public radio. Go to these sites. If you have contacts, start bugging them or just simply suggest, please help us help the 9 million veterans that are not aware of VA, that are not using healthcare, that aren't receiving any benefits, and more than half of them are entitled to, and those widows. We shouldn't leave a caregiver living below poverty that took care of our hero, especially when he came home after seeing horrific things because he was protecting our style, our way of life. As you're working through this, what do you see next for you, uh, Jane? Well, I'm going to continue. I do live streams, podcasts. I've done some podcasts that go out on radio stations. Just recorded three episodes last week that are going out on like 25 different radio stations. Actually did one with Phil Briggs last year that went out on the Armed Forces Network. So that felt pretty good. Um, And I'm going to keep pushing and bugging Anybody I can find on LinkedIn that is in a position with any of the national television stations and and large radio markets and things like that, eventually, once we put it on those national platforms, I won't have to be as active, but I will always be available on LinkedIn to give you the tools that you can later on research what you're eligible for or what your mom is eligible for or your aunt or your uncle that was married to one of our first Air Force women. And then I'll just always be available with my phone number on my messages that I send on LinkedIn and you can call me, ask questions. I'll help you find that free, trained and accredited veteran service officer that will help you at no cost. What's the best way for people to contact you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Okay, yeah. so ladies and gentlemen, I'll have her LinkedIn URL in the Oscar Mike Radio Show post. I'm with Jane Babcock, Army veteran, Army Reserve veteran, and just a, a force for you know us. And I've learned a whole lot, Jane. I've learned a whole lot. And you know, I, I guess change starts with one person. But I can tell you, for so long, I just was like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to bother with many years, like not getting involved, just too hard. It's just not worth it um and that seems to be a lot of us you know how do you change that mindset that it is worth it well just know you don't go to a dentist or try to figure out your podiatry problem by yourself don't try to figure out the laws and regulations of the va by yourself go to somebody who's trained it's not college but it's darn close to it because we speak VSOs speak the language, accredited VSOs. Always ask if you have someone that's offering to help you with your VA benefits. Are you accredited? When's the last time you went to training? Things like that. Because if you're not, 
an accredited VSO and you're not attending that training every year, you're probably not up to speed to exactly every rule. I am no longer accredited. So when you do contact me, I'm going to give you the tools and information. I'm going to give you the links to 38 Code of Federal Regulation that oversee what you're asking about. The links to the VA brochures about voc rehab and home loans and all that kind of stuff. And then I'm also going to give you a link to where you can look up your accredited VSO. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and talking with me. I mean, in, in the clubhouse with uh, Althea Williams, it, it was just like, okay, you know, when someone is like for real, legit, and then you look at their body of work and it's like, okay, this is, this is rare, which is sad to say, but it's true. And, you know, I'm like, okay, here's a resource. And, and I've watched you in these clubhouse, you know, forums say, hey, if you have a question, you know, reach out to me. And it's been very nice to see. Um, you know, I, I just hope to continue to learn more, Jane. Thanks, Travis. Anytime we can reach a veteran or their surviving family is a good day. Absolutely, absolutely. And it just, I just want one. I just want one. If, if one person says, hey, I'm going to find that accredited VSO, that'd be great. And, you know, if you need some help doing that, again, I'll have Jane's link in the show post. And, um, you know, once you know, you know, so there's no excuse, right? None. None whatsoever. And we're family. Got to share the information. Got to take care of each other. That's, that's all we have. Well, I want to thank you for coming on Oscar Mike Radio, Jane. I really appreciate it. Um, we'll talk again, I'm sure. And I look forward to meeting you in person one day. I certainly hope so. God bless and thank you for your service, everybody. Thank you. And as we said, Oscar Mike Radio, we are Mission in Flight. Have a good one.